Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle and is eating gluten-free while lusting after bread, Dave Denniston. My name is Dave Denniston, and welcome back, my friends, to the latest episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. And in this podcast, we have interviewed experts of all kinds, debt, burnout, real estate, and taxes. And so I thought, hey, it's about time to find a tax guy again. And so I went out there and did a search on the good old Google, and that's where I found our next guest. He is a CPA, and he is the co-host of a podcast. However, he actually does not prepare personal taxes. As a matter of fact, (laughs) he's a comedian on the side, a comedian and a CPA. Talk about opposites, right? As a matter of fact, he's even shared the stage with Weird Al, Chris Kattan, and Rob Schneider, to name a few. But anyhow, like I said, he doesn't prepare personal taxes. Instead, he is a controller and a general manager of some medical office buildings. So what's so interesting that I think about him as a guest, he knows a lot of issues about succession planning and buying and selling private practices. So I think we're really going to gain some really great insights today. Please help me welcome Greg Kite, the controller and general manager for the Utah Valley Physicians Plaza. Welcome, Greg. Thank you. Great, great to be here. I'm excited to uh, to not just hopefully give some uh, some info from my end, but just to even to gain some from you because uh, you know all this stuff. There's nobody nobody knows everything about everything. So the more that we can learn from each other, uh, I'm all on board for that. That's right. Well, you know, the pressure's on now, right? I said that you're like a comedian. Do you, do you, do you feel that, you know, when you get on other people's podcasts, like, oh, I have to be funny. What, what's that like? Yeah. Yes and no. Um, there's, I guess mostly I try to just ignore that because, because <laughs> there's, yeah, there's always that thing whenever actually an old boss of mine used, used to love to, uh, to say, ah, oh, this is our, this is our controller. And he's also a stand up comic. And, and as soon as the meeting got going, I was like, Oh goodness, these guys are, I'm going to, I'm going to disappoint. So everyone who thinks you can't be an accountant and a comedian after those meetings are like, yeah, that guy's not, he's, he's not both. There's no way. So, so, but I think, yeah, the, this, I don't have a joke to start us off with if that's kind of what you were asking for. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's so it's so interesting though cuz I think of most CPAs as as being like traffic engineers, right? They look mm-hmm. at their feet and mm-hmm. they're not that outgoing and so to be doing that um First, I guess, give us a, a picture into how, how did you get started into being an accountant and oh. doing what you're doing right now? Right. Great question. Well, uh, actually extends back into uh, my own, uh, you know, medical professionals in my life. My mom uh, is a retired pharmacist. So she was a she was a pharmacist in uh, northwest Washington for forever. And she owned her own drugstore from 1985 to 1995. And so even when I was in high school, uh, she got, you know, it was, it was the kind of the quintessential family business. So, uh, so we all worked there and, uh, and I got somehow my, my aunt was doing a lot of the bookkeeping is uh, bookkeeping there at one point. 
And she started training me on doing the bookkeeping for the pharmacy. And so as a sophomore in high school, I'm doing some you know business bookkeeping and, and really very much enjoying it. Uh, then when I got to college, I kind of had to choose between, because I was, I really enjoyed doing that. I knew accounting was obviously a profession that, that could, could suit me. I also was, uh, it had shown myself to be just a real ladies man, uh, because I was also awesome at math. So really who's yes. not looking for somebody who, who's a good bookkeeper and, and a math nerd. Uh, so anyway, so when I went, so my, my whole route to accounting was pretty weird because I went to college. I actually got a math degree. I, I taught middle school math for 10 years. Um, about seven years into that, I was, I, I realized uh, that the, the, the whole thing, teachers just don't make, they don't make enough money to make ends meet. So I was, I was the, the sole breadwinner for our, our family at that point. So I went back to school, got my accounting degree, got my MBA, got my CPA license, and started working for a local mid-size accounting firm here in the Provo Orem area in Utah and got hired away by one of my clients, which happened to be the company I still work for that, that does the real estate side. Uh, we do building management and real estate investment. Uh, it, we have the assets. There's a couple of different campuses of medical office buildings. And mostly what we do is uh, the vast majority of the doctors who have offices in our buildings they are owner, they're owners in the buildings as well. So they're owner occupants and we are a big part of their overall, you know, wealth building plan, uh, as well as, you know, since when they have to pass the, the torch on to the next guy, or if they just close up their shop, we also have to find somebody, at least on the real estate side, uh, for, for the, to buy their, their space, uh, to help them with succession. So we do, we do a fair amount of just, Wealth building, investment, and succession—that's a lot of, of, uh, of, of what the doctors uh, hire us to take care of for them. Well, I, I bet you never would have thought you'd be doing that. No, nope. no, nope. that's yeah. <laughs> it's pretty specific. I mean, I know, I know that you know from a from an accounting side. The cool, the great thing about being an accountant is that you can find yourself anywhere doing it. Like there's, you know, everybody needs an accountant. So the, you know, your, your own life path kind of lands you where you end up being. And for me, it's medical, you know, medical real estate. And, and it's, it's a great place to be. It's a pretty cool, pretty cool job that I have. And I, I, I like it a lot and it's fun to be able to make a difference for the people that you're working for. So tell us about, the 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 big question in my mind is we see in general you know private practices becoming a a animal that has been hunted down and is on the <laughs> the nearly extinct list right endangered animal yeah so what is it like when you have this building. I mean, is it something you're able to keep full? What is the difference between that? Because I think of most physicians are coming out of medical school, out of residency. They have like two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars in debt. You know, to buy a practice, mm -hmm. that's a hard deal. Right. Yeah. We. Well, we. Same thing. I mean, we're. That's one of the challenges that we're facing. Is is a similar thing where, it, it there's a sense that the new recruits in medicine at physicians that they are not as likely to have an entrepreneurial streak as what we saw a generation ago 
with our doctors. So we have a lot of independent physicians. Our, our buildings are both full of independent physicians. Our major healthcare system out here is Intermountain Healthcare, and they, they kind of dominate everything that's going on in the healthcare world. And these are guys who, who haven't wanted to become employed doctors by that healthcare system. Um, and, and they're able, so a lot of the kind of the, 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 uh, your patriarchs of these, of these offices, they're attracting to them the few entrepreneurs who are still coming out of medical school to, to hitch wagons together to create something big and to, to, to continue. But yeah, you're not, we're, most of our, uh, space that's in our building. When we get a new suite that opens up, like for instance, if a doctor decides to retire, decides to relocate, we get a suite that opens up for the past, gosh, probably seven years. Uh, basically all of those spaces have gone to other doctors who are, who their offices are expanding. So we see a lot of concern. And I, I take that as when people are wanting to maybe avoid working for some of the big health systems, what they're doing is they're then, you know, hooking up with some other doctors who are in this, you know, be becoming a, like we have a giant ENT practice in one of our buildings that's just getting bigger and bigger. And they, they buy up new space whenever it comes open. Almost. Uh, we have another group of ophthalmologists and optometrists in one, in that same building. Same thing. They're just, you know, we're getting more centralized, even with these independent doctors that aren't officially part of the healthcare system. So we are seeing a lot of that, but every now and then we also see, we got a, a, a guy who just graduated from, uh, de from dental school. He's a maxiofacial surgeon. So an oral surgeon, um, and he, interesting, he's got his DDS and his MD, and wow. he's just a, he, he came in, he take over, took over a, a oral surgery shop from a, a dentist, uh, who, uh, another oral surgeon who was retiring. And this guy's kicking butt on his practice. He's doing, I mean, it took him, took him a while to get, to get his feet planted, but he knew what he was doing. And he's, he's a fantastic addition to our ownership group and just to our occupancy of our buildings. Um, so, so, so help me, help me understand that, Greg. I mean, there's really what I see two different things going on here, right? There's one thing that's buying the practice, right? Right. Yes. And there's another aspect that you're buying into the building ownership because you have owner occupants, yes. right? So yep. how there's two different things going on and two different valuations, right? You have the valuation of a practice, you have the valuation of the building. So mm -hmm. you're on the building side. So for first, let's talk about that because that's where you're you're intimately involved yeah. with it. So uh, are you having to revalue the building every year? Um, how, how, how do you value a building which is occupied by the people that, that own it? Mm -hmm. It's it's very challenging, uh, especially, so our, our properties are a little bit unique as well. We have we have two, they're, they're each unique, but they're very different. One of our one of our medical office buildings is actually on campus uh, with the with the hospital that's the primary hospital that serves our county. So that medical office building, that one, the values for the space in it are very very high, and we we have a tough time there. We'll get the building appraised. Uh, like for financing, things like that. And the appraised value comes in way below what we're actually seeing doctors buy, buy and sell suites for because the doctors are going, this is the one place where I can have a, an off my, my office 
where I, I don't even have to cross a street to get to the ORs in the hospital. And so because of that, it's kind of the location, location, location kind of idea for that building. So what we see is we see from time to time when I when we have a doctor, we very rarely work with realtors because the interest in that building is so high. As a matter of fact, in the uh, nine years that I've been involved with that building, we haven't had a single uh, realtor facilitated sale. Because again, wow. we've got, it's the people, everybody knows each other in the building. And if you've got one practice that's just you know, waiting, waiting in the wings for, for a suite to open up to purchase it. A, a commercial realtor is not necessarily needed in that. But the one thing that we lack because we don't have that realtor is the valuation. And a lot of times what we do is we go back to people will call me regularly and say, hey, what are the three most recent sales in the building? And I'll say, well, they sold for this much per square foot. And then they'll use that as kind of a starting point. So we have our own comps inside our building to use for what's what's reasonable with that market. The other thing is we're coming out of the, you know, the great recession where commercial real estate did some really weird stuff where some, mm -hmm. some commercial real estate held its value just fine. Some dipped. Uh, that's what we saw at our other building where the values at our other building that's not on campus with a hospital that those dipped. Uh, but, but it was quite a lag from 2008. It was more like in 2011, 2012, we saw a real soft market for that space. So, um, so in terms of that, what we do is we just do your regular, you know, look for other space that's available both in the building and outside the building and see what things are going for and use those comparable, uh, things when we need to, we do, uh, uh, we get the help of, of, of appraisers who will just do a, a suite by suite appraisal when that's needed. And again, that can be a launching point for negotiations, not just for that transaction, but next time somebody comes around, they'll say, Hey, what did Dr. So-and-so get his suite appraised for? We tell them and they go, okay, that's the starting point. So lots of different ways to actually figure out that value. Interesting. Well, I would think one of the, the big sticking points might have to be at some point, that uh, what we see a lot of hospitals doing, right? They're not referring as much to private practices because right. they're trying to keep stuff in house. Yeah. So it sounds like that's not an issue though it, at, at this particular point. It, it doesn't seem to be for, I mean, again, that's one of the way of that. And, and I'm not sure how this works in other markets. I'm not sure what the, what the health and uh, health care slash health insurance market is out there. A lot of the ways that are, uh, that, that the big, again, Intermountain Healthcare, that's our big player in, in Utah, especially in my county, which is Utah County. Um, but they also have their own related health insurance system, which is the dominant health insurance system in the state as well. So they actually are able to, to, uh, send their traffic where they want it to go just based on who they've impaneled with their, their own in-house insurance company as well. If that, does that make sense? So it's like our major system is also our major insurance carrier and legally they're not the same entity, but functionally they're kind of the same entity. Um, so, but then, but they're not the only player in the insurance market. So there's a lot of, a lot of other insurances that'll go out and give people broader range. So in terms of these other shops, like that, that we have, it's not, they're not being, they're not being starved on the vine. They're actually, they're actually doing really well and thriving and they have quite a bit of power that they've been able to centralize, especially the guys that hook together with the same, uh, same specialty. We've got, we've got some, uh, neurosurgeon, a group of neurosurgeons 
in in one of our buildings. And man, those guys are they're real powerful because there's not a lot of neurosurgeons out in this area. So they kind of get to do what they want when they want and everybody just says okay. Interesting. Huh. And how does uh, the you, I'm sure every situation is different and maybe you could walk through a couple of examples. So let's say I'm, I'm a fairly newly practicing physician. Maybe I've been working for someone else and, and I've talked to one of these folks in this building that, that are selling out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had done this before myself when I moved from Seattle to Minnesota, where we put down a huge down payment mm-hmm. in order to buy into the practice. Mm -hmm. And of course, here we're talking about two different things, a building and a practice. So, Mm -hmm. and there's three different parts that that we talked about another podcast from Empire Flippers, where we talked about earnout, a promissory note payment, Mm -hmm. and a down payment. Mm -hmm. How does the structure work in some of these deals, you know, is there, is it pretty much like a cash deal? Is it, uh, are you able to do some sort of earn out or no payment owner financing? You know, how does, how does that work? Well, and uh, so again, from my perspective and my job within the building, there's a lot of those different succession plannings with the actual operating in it, with the practice itself that's separate from the real estate. So a lot of that stuff, I don't get, I don't get a front row seat to a lot of what happens when someone's buying out the practice itself? What um, you know? What we do see from the real estate side is it's a pretty traditional commercial. It, our, our deals are structured very traditionally uh, from a commercial real estate perspective. You do need twenty percent down. Now, sometimes the old owners. This is something that's that's been happening more and more. The the former owners of the real estate will execute a separate note with the with the person buying in for that down payment portion. So the building's only willing to finance up to 80%, but the prior owner can use their equity to finance a significant portion of that as well. In terms of, of, of earnouts and down payments and lump sum for the practice, yeah, I can't, it's hard for me to speak to that because again, I'm I'm only on the real estate side. So that's pretty much all I see. So it's it's traditional financing. So they're going to owe a bank a note uh, on it, which is probably normally I think a commercial real estate, it, which a lot of physicians may not know. They haven't done this before. That uh, it's not like your typical thirty-year fixed mortgage. Mm-hmm. I mean, usually right. my experience, and I'd like to hear your feedback on it. Usually you have seven-year um, notes or ten-year notes where the interest rate can ratchet up mm-hmm. after a certain time. It used to be interest only, but I'm sure you don't see that yeah. too much nowadays. Yeah, not not a lot. Well, there's there's some complexities just with how our with the ownership structure we have for our building itself. So our building, we have an LLC that owns the building. We have actually a number of different LLCs, but for each for each campus, we'll have one LLC that that basically owns the one asset, which is the the real estate. And then we have people, the owners are actually members in the LLC. So for instance, if you were an owner occupant in our structure, and let's say your office was 3,000 square feet, you would own 3,000 membership units in the LLC and each membership unit represents one square foot in the suite that you've, that, that you're, that you own. Um, mm-hmm. That said, most banks, you can't go to a bank and say, hey, I'd like a loan to purchase this suite. And they'd say, well, what can you put down as collateral? And they say, well, I have membership units in an LLC. And the bank's just going to be like, we don't, 
we don't like those and we don't care for those. Get something else. So part of my job, I also uh, perform a fiduciary role here in the building, a, a, a pecuniary role where I go to the banks and I get I get a loan on behalf of all of the owners because uh, and I get the bank as the LLC because the LLC owns the real estate. So instead of these doctors having their note to a bank, they actually have their notes to the building and the building has one big note that we have to the bank. So, so there's, so that's the structure that, that, that works out. And that's kind of required from the, the legal structure that we have. The upside of that legal structure is there are ways, especially there's a lot of levers that tax planners can use using our structure to really maximize different things from estate planning to even minimization of some self-employment taxes for the different owners. So there's a lot of things that people can do with that. There's also some things they can't do. We're limited because uh, I'm sure you're familiar with a 1031 like kind exchange uh, with real yep, estate. Yep, yep. When you when what you actually own is membership units in an LLC rather than the actual real estate, you're precluded from doing 1031 like kind exchanges. So that's one of the limitations we have. But there's a lot of other things that that tax planner can tax planners can use and that they love with our structure. Now that said, in terms of the structure of the loan that we have with the bank, we've had a bunch of different, really interesting loans that we have, that we've had over the years. We have the traditional loan that we've seen is one where you have a, it's basically they amortize the debt over 20 years. Most of our most of our amortizations have been 20 year amortizations, but they have what's called a five year call. So that means that they're ba- you're basically paying it down as if you were paying it down over 20 years. But in five years, you have to do a complete refinance. They just need all their money back and you do. So, so that kind of locks you in with every five years, you have to oh. do a refinance, which can be challenging because the fees, especially origination fees from that, those can be pretty onerous. So when you're refinancing every five years, that can be a challenge. Uh, it's been helpful to us because that timing is usually pretty good when we have new people who've purchased in and we do have some other loans that need to be refinanced anyways with that. Um, however, currently we've got a really interesting uh, loan that is, so again, it's a 20-year amortization. So it's it's set up where it'll get paid off entirely over 20 years. But every five years, there's a reprice that's put into the loan. So basically, they just, the formula they used at the beginning of the loan, that's the same formula that they use three other times throughout the loan to just say, what's the market currently for the interest rate? So it's it's not a completely floating rate, but it's a kind of floating rate where every, so it's fixed in for five years, we get a reprice, it's fixed in for the next five years, reprice, it's fixed in for the next five years. And over the course of the whole 20 years, the whole loan ends up being paid off. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it kind of, well, it's, I guess the, the part I'm not capturing clearly is you have all these, maybe uh, there's not a lot of transactions. I mean, is there like one a year, there, one every couple of years, or one every month? We, How many transactions do you have going we on? We generally have anywhere from one to four transactions in a year uh, in a in a given uh, building. Uh, depending, you know, we do have some, some buildings that have more activity than others, but yeah, we have, we have quite a few, what we do with that. We also, along with that, we have a revolving line of credit so that when someone does need to buy in and buy out, we, we have that money that we can go to for payouts of the old doctors. So we'll then extend a new loan to the new doctor that's based on them, assuming the loan that the old doctor had with the building, plus anything else that we have 
that we needed to loan in addition to that, we dip into our revolving line of credit. So that'll, so that, you know, we've got a couple million dollars in that. And that seems to be plenty uh, between times when we, when we refinance. So not sure in, in a brief explanation on a podcast, it might be difficult to see how all that works. But again, that's needed because the, the doctors themselves in our structure, they own just those membership units rather than, which is an indirect ownership of the building, but it's not direct ownership. So again, I've got to play the bank for these guys. So the way I play the bank is with that revolving line of credit when we do have to have someone sell out and a new person buy in. Well, and it, it sounds like more than anything, one of your huge jobs is keeping track of all these. Oh folks. my gosh! And <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's. I, I mean, not just not just in terms of you know the the just the the amount of data data that I have to put into our accounting systems every month to keep those up to date, but also you know generating all the all the different loans, the documents, the the amortizations for those. Also, just uh, being a a a loan document herder. So just making sure that, that everybody's <laughs> file is exactly how it needs to be. Uh, because, yeah, we do have, I mean, between all the different owners and all the different buildings, we're probably uh, over, you know, probably around 75 different loans that we have out to different individuals from from the building. So keeping track of all of that and making sure that machine's well-oiled, that's that's a lot of what I do. Interesting. Well, it's such a such a... a oiled machine that you have to yeah. to constantly grease the wheel on all right well let's take pause here for a second and go to our commercial break i'm having that special offer my friends where you can get every single episode of the podcast on for download for you and maybe i'll even send it to you on a usb drive as well as getting a bonus copy of my book the tax reduction prescription an e-copy of it both of those things hundreds of hours of material dozens of ways to slash your taxes for only five dollars text less taxes l-e-s-s taxes to four four two 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 and you will get sent from there a link in your email to the checkout page to buy both of those things for five dollars well, I'd love to know, Greg, from your perspective, I still come on on the side of, I think that private practice is the place for physicians to create wealth. Yes. As we can see here, yeah. equity in a building, equity in a practice, and versus um, the jobs that a lot of physicians are getting today, which certainly, I mean, when you have $200,000, $300,000 in student debt, taking on more debt to, to do something else is a scary proposition, mm -hmm. but I really think that their caps are limited and then you lose time freedom, perhaps you lose some other, other freedoms uh, financially down the road. Right. So I would love to know from your perspective, kind of both sides of the coin, you know, some of the benefits that you've seen physicians have, and then why don't we then move on to some of the mistakes that you've seen physicians make, uh, whether it's these deals or, or just lifestyle or whatever you see. So first let's talk about the good stuff. Okay. So what, what do you see from your perspective in terms of, of some great things you've seen physicians do um, with their money and with these kind of situations? Right. Gotcha. Well, it's, you know, a lot of it just comes back to your, just to your general, you know, wisdom in terms of 
anything financial, you know, financially related, you do want to, and the, and the trade-offs of the doctors who are coming out of school who don't want to be independent, like you said, they're, what they're getting when they're, when they become a, an employed physician with a healthcare system is they maybe get to be able to say, okay, my hours, because a lot of doctors, a lot of independent doctors work a lot of really long hours. Um, and when you're part of a system, you can negotiate saying, okay, I'm not going to work as long hours. Here's when I'm going to be on call, et cetera, et cetera. And you can do those. So when you're, when you're doing your own practice, what you, you are signing up to be an entrepreneur, like, even like my mom was when she owned her pharmacy and she was working 80 hours a week for a lot of that time. And that was part of, part of what she signed up for. So there's, there, there are some demands on your life, but when you're part of a healthcare system, even with uh, different Stark laws and things like that, they, there's a lot of ways that they can have their hands tied in terms of giving you anything else other than just, uh, just your salary. So when you do have your own practice, you're able to get, you're able to really leverage a lot of things. You're able to, uh, you know, if you're, if, if you're the mainstay, if you're one of these, you know, like I mentioned before, some of the patriarchs of some of these bigger practices, they've bought in, they've brought in other doctors who are working for them and they're slowly bringing those guys in to be part of the ownership structure as well. But you're, when you're part of the real estate the the practice is paying the lease on the space so it's kind of like kind of like owning rental properties but you're your own occupant and as you gain uh partners they also become uh different tenants of yours until you get them uh you know mixed in even with the ownership of the real estate but all of that i mean going from you know i'm i'm not just i'm not just paying rent but i'm owning and just like we see in wherever people are living for their their household it, it, renting versus owning there's not a whole lot of difference cash flow wise but what you are seeing is if you're renting you're not building any of that any of that equity so so yeah you're helping to build an asset but when you own the real estate you're building an asset that you own that you can then use as an asset to help you with your retirement that if you were just leasing, you'd be flushing that money down the toilet. But you're also building a practice that then these other people that come in, that has value in that, and and uh, people will be buying you out as you retire. So it's all the things we already that we already talked on that aren't really available if you if you're just an employed doctor with a healthcare system there you know obviously there's going to be retirement savings plans things you know things of that nature 401k's all you know your usual your usual perks and obviously there's people who do that and they enjoy a fine working life and they enjoy as a comfortable retirement but you're not going to see people who are really taking over the world who are really leveraging what they could as a physician to get uh, to to get the highest the highest payback for the investment this this you know incredibly large investment of both time and money to get your physicians you know to become to become an md in the first place so what what do you make of the leverage though right i mean if if you don't have a lot of cash i uh, mean could these things go downhill uh, i mean could what, what would that look yeah. like i mean if you were a young doctor uh-huh. What, how would you be protecting yourself so you don't get screwed? Well, that's one of the things you're, you're not necessarily because 
profit only comes from risk. So, so that's what, that's exactly what you're seeing right there. There's a lot less risk when you're not going out on your own, but there's a lot less profit to be found when you are on your own. But risk also, risk doesn't always turn out right. So there are times when we've had doctors who, what, for whatever reason, their lifestyle that, you know, you've got a man, like for instance, this, this, uh, I was telling you about this, uh, oral surgeon who came in, who's kicking butt right now. Well, the guy, he comes out of school. He, he was in school somewhere in, I think in Omaha and he comes driving out. He's, he's driving a, a Subaru legacy wagon. That's probably as old as he is. And that's what he's driving into work for the first <laughs> three years that he's working as a, as a doctor. And so here's a guy who put himself through, not just dental school, but like I said, he's a DDS and an MD. So he's put himself through a lot of school. He's, he's obviously post, you know, delaying gratification. That's where he's been for this whole time. And a lot of people go, okay, I'm going to bite the bullet. I'm going to do the, all the hard work and all the long hours to get through medical school. And I can't wait till I'm done. And when I can get rid of this rust bucket car that I own and go out and buy my Lexus and you go, that's great. And that's doable, but if you're able to delay your gratification uh, long enough, you're going to be able to get bigger wins down the road as well. So you've got what there's somebody that I listened to. This was years ago where he kept he was specifically talking about real estate as uh, you know in, investing in real estate, which is a lot of obviously a lot of what we're talking about right now. And he said that his mantra: this guy's wild, been wildly successful more in residential real estate than commercial. But what he kept telling himself as he was in his buildup phase is he says, he said, live, live now like most people won't so that eventually you can live like most people can't. Uh, and I felt like that was really powerful. It's that whole delayed gratification where, yeah, you're going to be risking stuff. You have to make sure the belt's tight. And there might be people who are even, you know, if you've got a family that you accumulated along the way to getting your uh, you know, to, to finishing your medical degree there, they might be really tired of, you know, of, of, of having tight belts as well. But if everybody is aligned and if everybody can see the potential that there is for being an entrepreneurial doctor, you're also going to see a huge payout again. I mean, just to use one of the examples within my buildings is I've got, I've got a doctor who's been a neurosurgeon, who's been incredibly out entrepreneurial, not just in his practice, owning the real estate and having his practice in that, that real estate. But he also ended up investing in some surgical centers where he takes cases and he gets some referrals for that. So there's more real estate he does there. He's even, uh, you know, has, has a lot of businesses on the side that aren't related to, to the medical industry. He owns some, uh, some storage facilities and he's been fortunate enough that one of his sons, uh, became a, he got an accounting degree, got his master's in taxation. And now that son, his full-time job is basically shepherding the the business empire of this guy who for him, you know, for his, you know, nine, 10, 11 hours that he works in a given day, he's doing surgery cases as a neurosurgeon. And he's been, I mean, this guy, he, the wealth that he's created is pretty, pretty unbelievable. But again, he had a long buildup and he took the risks that were right. And he, and he knew when to take leverage and when not to, and he's been able to do that. So is your question more of like, what, is it okay to take, to, to get even more debt when you're already looking at a mountain of student loan debt? 
Well, I guess my my question was more. I think we all understand, uh, and you've addressed it great. You know, risk, risk and reward, yeah. and those kinds kinds of questions. I was more thinking about, you know, for example, in in my situation, one of the lessons I learned was I would structure for a buyout deal to have more earnout, okay. mm-hmm. right, over like a note, payment. okay, because that way, if reimbursements continue to decline, for example, in mm-hmm. medicine, you know you're not locked into paying an amount right. every single right. month, which also means that the practice blows up too and, and does great. Mm-hmm. Then the person on the other end gets higher payments right. than expected. Right. So that, that way you can have, have it both ways for both right. people. If you really believe in the practice and believe in the person that you're buying and, and selling from, what about from your perspective outside of something like an earnout? what are other things that, that people could think of to really just to set themselves up for success um, to, to protect them. So that way, when they already have all this leverage and they're taking on more leverage now, you know, how can they best set themselves up for, for Well, there's, there's yeah. nothing. I mean, again, like, you know, the, the biggest thing I could say is just in one's personal life, making sure that, that you're, uh, that your growth in terms of your comfort, the you know the homes that you live in, the you know the all, all that sort of stuff, that you keep that tame, that you you delay that gratification, and eventually there's going to become a time where you're going to get all the toys and all the stuff that you want. But to do that, to the the more that you can push yourself in the early end, the bigger of a payout that's going to be on the back end. But in terms of some more some more just practical stuff of what people can do to structure those sorts of things, I think it's a great idea. If if someone has an inclination to be an independent doctor is to go out and find these guys who do have, you know, 35, 40 years of experience of owning their own practice who are interested in in retiring and doing doing one of those where you're not just saying, hey, I, you know, I didn't have you know, on, on whatever date, here's the date where the, where it stops being your practice and it starts being my practice, but instead have a longer period in there where you're learning the ropes, you're figuring out what you're, you're gleaning all the information you can from this other person who's had a full and successful career as an entrepreneur. And in that time, you start doing smaller things to pass the baton. And whether that's, you know, part of the money that you earn through that practice goes back to, to create kind of a sinking fund for you to, to purchase the practice and or the real estate from the prior doctor. But, but by having sort of that time where you're, you're, you're you're hooked up with each other and you're moving along at the same pace and you're you're having a longer period of transition those things can be great and a lot of times even from a tax perspective if the doctor who's selling uh you know whether it's a loan or an earnout there if they get their money rather than a big lump sum all at once there's some ways that that can be leveraged in terms of installment sale treatment for recogni- recognition of the tax consequences of the sale of both the practice and the real estate so there's that, there's that side of things as well. That's, I think that that's a great point as well, just in terms of the, the taxation and spreading that out. Cause hopefully you're making a lot yeah. of money and uh, you, you can use some of those tax write-offs, which is one of the things I love about business acquisition, which is why I acquired a business mm. a few months ago. It's a great tax yes. write-off. Um, at least initially, initially yeah. it can be. And then hopefully it's profit, extremely profitable uh-huh. so that, uh, it, it, you have a good problem of making right. money, and that's um, and that's one of the so, things that I think people. I mean, it's hard. It, it's hard, and it's risky, and it's scary. Uh, is is going okay? 
I'm not sure. I mean, anyone who wants to start their own business, there's going to be a lot of, I mean, it's like jumping off a cliff uh, in a, in a lot of ways. Cause you just aren't sure yet if you're not positive that everything's going to work out on the other side. But if you, if, if you've already done your homework, well, you have a good business plan, you know, how that kind of, how your type of entity works, you see where the, you know, what, what your major profit centers are, whether, and that might seem like an, a grandiose term, but even if you're a one per one physician, office, you've got profit centers. There's different ways, different procedures that are going to be your cash cows and others that are going to take too much time and are going to be frustrating for you. But if you can figure out the services, market yourself, find the right, even finding the right, uh, the right geographical area to serve, you're going to find that, that, uh, other people have done this in the past. Obviously doctors are smart people. So you're going to figure out how you can make it work for yourself. And then beyond that, it's just, you know, it's just typical, uh, typical good money management, lifestyle management choices that are going to get you where you need to, to become a, a huge success for yourself with your own practice. I love it. No, I think, I think that's all fantastic advice. And I have to imagine someone is listening out there and they're saying, you know, all this sounds great, uh, but how do you find that person? Mm -hmm. I guess maybe uh, you need to contact their CPA who's controlling the <laughs> right. building. Might be right. a good way to get connected. Right. There's no, there's um, no match.com for retiring surgeons and, and budding new ones. Yeah, that's, that is, it is one of those things. Uh, a lot of times I know right now, uh, I mean, in, in all sorts of industries, what we're seeing, there's a, there's a real golden opportunity with with the baby boomer generation all marching towards retirement where there's a lot of these independent doctors who are going, I'm not, they, they haven't done what they should have over the years to, to find a succession plan. And they would love to find somebody who could come in and do that. So to whatever extent, and I know we see this in the accounting profession a lot with people who have their you know, accounting firms, but it, you know, the, the owners are approaching retirement. Same thing here where I think if it, I, I would suggest someone on the front end of their career who wants to be an independent doctor to take the reins and to start going, Hey, here's a place I'd like to live and, and, and go to that place and start finding some other independent physicians and saying, Hey, just, I'm, I'm, I'm moving to this area. I'd like to get into this area. And I'm, I'm wanting to see if there's anybody who wants to start talking now about uh, about the acquisition of their their practice. I think that a lot of having that sort of initiative, you can find places where and you can start crafting your own deal to buy that other doctor out, which again seems like maybe bigger uh, you know bigger pants than you're <laughs> used to wearing. But if you take that sort of initiative, you can start crafting your own deal and really making it a buyer's market which which realistically it is other than the fact that people can be scared. <laughs> Would you, so I want to get back to that. So could you call yeah. email, you know, knowing what you know, what, what's the best way to get that introduction? It, uh, it, I would say the best thing to be would be like a, a an email directly to the doctor what i find you know as someone who works with doctors but i'm not a doctor when they're when their staff is doing their job right they're playing interference and it can be tough for me to get in to see doctors that i don't already have a relationship with but 
all of that right. goes away when the person doing the initiating is another doctor. All of a sudden, doors just fly open. If you say, hey, I'm Dr. Mm -hmm. So-and-so, and I'm interested in, in having a, a talk with your doctor to because I'm... I'm in the area and there might be a business thing. And then all of a sudden doors, doors seem to fly open uh, for doctors with other doctors. So you can't, it's not necessarily something that you can delegate so easily, especially at the front end to your people, to your CPA or to, you know, someone who's maybe helping you with your business dealings, uh, something that you probably have to do yourself. But yeah, I think if you reach out uh, directly, you can do that. And there's, and there's other ways to do that. The American Medical Association, there's different, you know, activities that they have where you can go and network. So some of it's just a networking kind of thing too, which can be challenging to find the time to do that. If you're already, you know, putting in all the hours for doing all of your rounds and things that you, that you're required to do. But a lot of times that stuff pays off the dividends of just getting out and knowing other uh, professionals that are in your area can be unreal. So I'd always, I'd always suggest that as well. Fantastic. Well, Greg, as we wrap up this interview, uh, more than I hear so often is physicians really lack a business education, which is part of the mission of this podcast mm -hmm. to empower physicians uh, to slash their debt, slash their taxes and help to create multi-millionaire physicians mm -hmm. out of it. So I'd love to hear from you. What do you think is the best business lesson that you can pass on to us? Uh, I would say that the best business lesson for, for a physician uh, is, is to, uh, to make sure that you have the the structure that you need to make those good business decisions. Find people that you know and that you trust who will help guide you through the stuff. And but but understand at the same time, like we were just talking about, the power that you have as a physician to initiate these deals even if you don't feel like you've got all the skills to close the deal. So have the, have the, be, be willing to go out and start forging, uh, your business, your business conquests, but also spend the time to get that back, the back room, the guys who are, you know, get your catcher lined up so that you can bring this in and they can, they can land it and make sure all the T's are crossed and all the eyes are dotted on the back end. But there's, but really there's uh, apart from that, I would say, I would say the biggest, maybe not the biggest, uh, may, but then again, maybe it is the biggest mistake that you can do is just approach your career as someone who's a, as anyone who's just approaching. If you approach a career in medicine, like someone would approach any other salaried career, you're really you're really missing a lot of opportunities that are unique to you as a physician that most other professionals don't have. And that is these opportunities to get in on some business, some business deals that are going to, you know, whether that's ownership in a surgery center or whether that's you buying your own space or a combination of that, or even other business ventures that you can have. There's lots of stuff that you can do there that I think people who just approach it as traditional, I'm a, I'm an employed, I'm an employee of this other organization. They're, they're stepping over dollars when they do that. 
Well, I think uh, I, I love the advice, and I think one of the mistakes that I see physicians make, and I'd love for you to, to speak to this and maybe agree or debunk, okay. depending on, on whether or not you agree with it, is I think, uh, and what I like about the opportunity physicians have in your situation is they know the building. I think I see physicians in the past and even currently perhaps, unfortunately, blindly trusting some mm-hmm. folks, and it causes them to get burned and what's nice when you are in a space you know it it's not something foreign to you so whether you're investing in rental real estate and and getting into single family homes you know if you know the tenants Mm -hmm. and you know about the house and all of the details you you, of course there's risk involved with it it's not a riskless transaction but at least you have your hands dirty that you know quite a few things about it so that you can step in there if you have to, you know, if you hire a, a manager at some point that um, you can give them guidance and be able to check yeah. on them rather than just blindly have, handing someone a blank check and say, here, go invest this for right. me. Good luck. Yeah, there's, and that's one of the things, that's a real frustrating thing for doctors is your doctors are so busy and this was something before i before i started working where i am working heavily with the medical profession i didn't have i didn't have an appreciation for just the the sheer volume of hours that doctors spend making the money that they do and and the stresses that are on them with that so it does make it really challenging and we and i've seen it just even even within our organization ways that Doctors trusted different managers, uh, and those managers took advantage of some of the trust that was there. So we see that, and and, and I don't know, haven't you and I talked about this before? Where it's kind of hard to find a doctor, especially you know mid career, late in their career, that doesn't have a story of somehow they had somebody who abused them and and embezzled something or or got them into a, a really crappy investment. Where we are, didn't we talk about that once? Yeah, we did. And so, we did. so, we did. but but at the same time. You're never kind of like what you were saying. You're never going to be able to ensure that you can't that no one's at. So you could you could try to create this ultra insulated uh, financial uh, house that where where no you know where, where you're micromanaging everything, but you're going to find that you just can't you can't extend yourself that far. So eventually, you are going to have to find these people, whether, and I, and I hear what you're saying, the more familiar you are with the types of investments that you're investing in, the better you can give direct oversight to that. Not a, that's awesome advice. And I totally agree with that completely. But I also say that part of what we have to do is go, okay, one of the, just weighing that as one of the risks that goes in there, not letting it, not letting it, it prevent you from this is that there's plenty of honest people out there too. And even if you've got a, a, an investment yep. here, if you get burned once, don't let, don't let that keep you from ever uh, taking risks again, or a fear that you might get taken advantage of. You're going to just par- be paralyzed and not do anything. And again, you're going to miss tons of opportunities that could have worked out wonderfully for you. So, so yeah, there is some, some oversight. It's great to find people who can help you get different checks and balances where different people are checking on them. Like for instance, you've got an office manager, make sure you have an independent CPA who's looking over their shoulder and can sniff out when things are being done irregularly that's a wonderful thing to do but again don't uh, don't let the fear of things like that prevent you from 
from going out and really investing and, and doing these, you know, creating these business opportunities that exist for you. Yeah. Don't let the fear exactly. stop you. I think that's, that's a great, great idea to walk away with. Any other closing thoughts, Greg? To um, wrap up? I, one of the things, you know, I, I'm a big, and, and again, I, not, not knowing, I assume that you pound on this all the time, but it's so important for anyone, wherever they're at to, to make sure that they are, uh, remove it to minimizing their debt. But I think one of the things that is so often not emphasized is that that's not, that's a, that's getting, getting out of debt is, is perfect. But if you can get debt on a, if, if you can acquire assets using debt and those assets are either going to produce income or they're going to appreciate over time, that's debt that you should feel much, much more comfortable uh, getting into. So I think, I think that's one of the big things that I see doctors doing is either they're so debt averse that they're maybe not taking the risks that they should by acquiring new assets, or people are so not, they're either one side or the other where they're totally comfortable with debt, but on things that aren't, that don't make sense. You don't buy your cars on debt. You should be paying cash for your cars because those aren't going to appreciate over time. But business ventures feel, I feel like being leveraged on those is great. If you can see what the return on those investments is going to be. And if the return is such that it'll, it'll more than pay for your, your monthly debt payment, that kind of stuff. I say, leverage it up and make it happen. Absolutely. No, I think that's a fantastic way to close out the podcast because when you're you're leveraging, I mean, certainly, as Greg mentioned, you buy a new Tesla, mm-hmm. you buy a new Ferrari or a brand new boat, right. and you're using debt to do it. You're not going to get that nope. money back with... You might get enjoyment out of it. You you might love it, uh, but you're not getting that money back. Whereas you put money into investments like real estate or buying a practice. Certainly, there, there's work involved with it, uh, but it may not be as much enjoyment. But you will. You have the possibility. At least, maybe not you will. But you have the possibility of getting a very handsome return on that. So your money multiplies, and that's what debt does for you when it's used the right way, as opposed to the wrong way. Um, so Greg, with that, uh, appreciate you being here so much. And if people are interested, if they're interested in learning more about the kind of opportunities that you might have available out there, maybe you can just point them in the right direction. All right, Greg, well, thank you again so much for being with us. If people have more questions, they want to know about how to buy a practice, maybe they're even interested in one in one of your buildings. What is the best way that they can get in contact with you? The uh, best way to contact me is just to, to send me an email, greg at gregkite.com. Um, the other thing that you can do is we have a new website that we're launching with blogs about that, that covers a lot of the same stuff that uh, is covered on this podcast called Utah Medical Offices. Uh, dot com. And so you can go there. There's there's links there to direct you to my buildings. Uh, also ways to contact me directly through that. So those are the best ways. Greg at greghat.com and utahmedicaloffices.com as well. And you spell your last name K-Y-T. K-Y-T. Yeah, like flying a kite, but with a Y instead of an I, because <laughs> my ancestors were horrible spe- spellers. So it seems to be genetic. I have that problem too. A few too many drinks. And right, something. They, or they want to be extreme. That's how the kids <laughs> are spelling everything nowadays. 
Oh, that's great. Well, again, Greg, thank you for being with us. And my friends, if you enjoyed this podcast, big favor to ask of you. What I'd like you to do is grab your friend's iPhone or their iPad or whatever device they may be listening to. Download this podcast and your favorite episodes and say, here, here you go. Check this out. You need to listen to this stuff. And if they hate it, it's my fault. If they love it, you get to take all the credit for it. So do me a favor of that. And if you have a chance, also rate and review. But more than anything, download download it on other people's devices because the more downloads help us and help us make it all worth it. And also, if you have questions about this kind of, of thing, one of my goals here with this podcast is to help create a hundred new physician multimillionaires. So if you're curious about investing in businesses, private practices, or online businesses like I have done, or land investing like I'm getting more of an interest in, make sure to contact me at Dave at drfreedompodcast.com or of course you can go on the website www.drfreedompodcast.com so remember my friends remember to slash your debt slash your taxes and live a liberated lifestyle I'm having that special offer my friends where you can get every single episode of the podcast on for download for you and maybe I'll even send it to you on a USB drive as well as getting a bonus copy of my book, The Tax Reduction Prescription. An e-copy of it, both of those things, hundreds of hours of material, dozens of ways to slash your taxes for only $5. Text less taxes, L-E-S-S, taxes to 44222. And you will get sent from there a link in your email to the checkout page to buy both of those things for $5. All right. Let me know, my friends, uh, other guests, other people you might be interested in. would love to connect and help more and more physicians. For the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, this is Dave Denniston. And remember, my friends, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle.